morning. Good to see you. Um, I have to reintroduce myself. I've been gone all summer. I'm Nelson Jenkins, and I still work here. So some, some people were asking, and so, but basically kids got out of school after the snow days um, in August, and so um, we went around, went, went to, on a mission trip, and came back, went to Omaha, did a wedding, went to a wedding, my nephew didn't even come home, went right to another mission trip, um, came back, slept, drove off to Vermont, and came back and we decided we were going to try to go as far as we could, which I highly recommend you do, it's a lot of fun. And we went 800 and something miles, 13 hours, and just died. And got back, spent like three or four days, few days here, and then I flew to Colorado to do a wedding. I'm out there, just got back from that a few days ago. I was out there, and we stayed in the lodge up in the woods. This is up north of Denver, Fraser, Colorado, and up in the middle of nowhere. And the address is, it's a, it's a joke. You don't, I found out that you can't really plug it into a GPS or anything and find it. So the cabin is here, and where the wedding was, was a couple miles down the road. So I, got, I went down in the morning of the wedding, and I was checking out things and make sure things set up as an outdoor wedding, which I just find. Um, and so... Um, went down there and things were going over. alright, so I went to the, um, to the groom's father and said, I'm going to walk back to the cabin and just, you know, kind of get dressed and get set up and, and uh, come back with you. So I started walking. 25 minutes later, I realized I'm lost. It's only a couple hours before the wedding. I'm out there and I, and I, and I just start chuckling going, only you, Nelson, only you. And then I look up and I'm like, thank you, God, this is great. And it starts raining. And I was just like, can this get any better? And I just had to sit there and just laugh and go, this is great. So I called my wife and I said, could you get on Google Maps and please help me find out where I'm at? Which is really a dumb idea. So, so I'm walking, no one's around. There's not a light in sight. And I'm walking, like, Lord, just please find one person, just a car that I can, you know, ask somebody where I'm at. All of a sudden I see this truck and I'm like, just chasing this thing down, going this side, I think I'm an idiot. It's a groom's father. And that was great. So we just get in, we get down there and, you know, get in there, but it was just kind of, and then we get to the wedding. Beautiful, it stopped raining, beautiful, sunny. The wedding was 20 minutes or so, rained the entire service. The whole time. And so it was just basically like, get up there and go, just kiss, just, just go, let's just get out of here. So that was kind of my summer, so it was kind of like nice to get back and get back into school and have that, you know, seven, eight-hour daycare going again for us, so, so we can we can enjoy that. But um, I'm excited because we're here and we've been hearing about small groups for the past few weeks and we're going to wrap it up. And, and the idea that I want to kind of talk about this morning is the idea that there's an ultimate small group. When we think of a small group getting together, encouraging each other, walking alongside, and how we can even do that as we talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. The ultimate small group to me is you and Christ. Your relationship with Christ is the ultimate small group because that's the small group that's, that's going to last for eternity. And when we think about the small groups that, that we can be in here, not only necessarily ones on the board, but also Celebrate Recovery, there's a lot of different groups that you can be involved in. It's not just necessarily once those boards are full. Sorry, there's no place for you. There's a lot of different opportunities to get plugged into groups, about six to 12 people, and, and really kind of do life together. And I want to encourage you to think about that when we think about how we get to the point where Jesus is the foundation, the reality of our life, and how the small groups can come along and we can encourage each other and help each other. We can see the blind spots in each other's lives that sometimes we miss. Because we know that we all have those at times. There's things and rough edges that we sometimes miss and other people can say, hey, you know, and we have those people that know us well enough that are honest enough to sit there and say, hey, you know what? You're a jerk. And, and not just your spouse, because they always say that. So, um, but just have those people that can encourage us. I want to talk this morning about Jesus. And the question, a couple questions I want to ask is, is, is Jesus the foundation of your life? Or is he a piece of furniture in your house? When you think about a house, and that's really the, the analogy we're going to be looking at from the Bible, is two builders building a house. And that house represents our lives. When we build our lives, when we build a house, you have a foundation. And that foundation has to be solid. It has to be secure. And you also have in a house have furniture, unless you're like us and you have pins over all the time, and you just keep throwing it away when they break it. So they're pretty easy to say it's not worth it. It's worth just sitting on the floor. And, um, but you have furniture and you have a foundation. The foundation, well, you need to have that strong. It needs to be there, and it doesn't need to be like, you know, leaving, or you can't really sit there and go, you know, I just don't like this foundation. Let's just throw it away. That'd be kind of dumb. But you can sit there with a couch or a chair and say, you know, this couch, it's not working. And you can move it, you can get rid of it. Or you can sit there and say, I need this couch, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to use this couch when I'm tired and when I'm worried. But then you get up and say, okay, I don't need it anymore right now. You know, I'll come back to it later when I need it. And that's kind of a lot of times how we live our lives with Jesus. Is that he's a piece of furniture where we, I need this, I'm, I'm kind of tired, so Jesus, I need you now. I'm going to come and sit on the couch. But then we're like, okay, now I'm good, I can do it on my own. Whereas with the foundation, we realize I need that all the time. It has to always be there. So the question, the big question I have as we start out here is, is Jesus, if Jesus were taken from your life, if you say I have a relationship with Jesus, I know who Jesus is, and if Jesus were to be taken from your life, would your life collapse? If he were to be taken out of your life, what would happen to your life? Would anyone around you notice a difference? And would you notice a difference? And that's what we want to kind of flesh out, because the answer to that question is going to answer whether he's a foundation of our life or if he's a piece of furniture in our life that we just kind of use when needed. We're going to be looking at Matthew 7, 24 to 27. This is a couple builders. They're building a, a house, and I just want to read this here. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Understand that this is Jesus wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. One of Jesus' famous sermons from Matthew 5 to 7. He's been, he's been teaching, he's, he's talking about blessed are the people, that, you know, the poor and blessed, all these things. He goes through this, all these things in this sermon, and he kind of wraps it up. Finally, he goes, anyone who listens to this and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents, and the flood waters rise, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. 
foolish person, like a, a foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So when we think about that, we're, we're, we're realizing that Jesus is saying, hey, I've been teaching a lot of things here. And now he says, now if you take these things and you listen to them, and not only listen to them, but you actually apply them to your life and obey these things, you're going to be the wise builder who builds the house on a rock. The rock being Christ and his word. His word, his teachings. If you build your life on that, he says, that's a solid foundation. If you decide you're going to build your house on anything else, on how you feel or how other people around you feel, that's building your house on the sand. That's basically saying, Jesus, you're a piece of furniture. You're, you're, I want you to be part of my life, a piece of my life, but I don't want you to be my life. And so we think of this, this, um, these two stories, these two builders. But the first thing I take in mind, because my mind works in very creative and scary ways, is the three pigs. Let's be honest. Come on, the three pigs is a biblical story. You know, one builds a couple build a house and it, you know, it gets huffed and blown away. And the third one decides he's going to do it right and the wolf comes in and he can't blow it away. And just that idea of looking at that's really kind of what Jesus is saying here is, is that we can build our house with straw, we can build it on sand, we can build it in a way that's going to get blown away when storms come. Or we can build it with a solid foundation and solid so that it stays. And any, anyone here know anything about construction? If you do, um, plug your ears because I'm going to probably just ruin everything I'm saying here. But um, I worked construction in high school and I went and one, one day we were building a house, we're building a deck on a house. And the house was beautiful, looking out over the river. And the backyard was basically just a slope, it just went straight down to the river. And the, the, the people wanted to build a deck on the back of it. So I'm back there, and you're basically, you're like this the whole time. You don't have anything flat to stand on. You're going to build gasoline and stuff like that. And so my boss comes up and says, no, I need you to dig, dig the holes, you know, to, to put the post in for this deck. So I'm like, okay, I'll go out there. So I'm digging, and I probably get to where it's like three or four, four feet. I'm digging down there, I'm like, oh, it's getting hard. It's getting, this, this ground is getting really hard down here. So I'm thinking, i got to be close. And so I finally go, sorry, you want to come check it? He comes in and he goes, oh, you're halfway there. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. What kind of deck are we building here? And, he, and I, I, in a sense, I kind of that. He goes, we're building a deck that in 20 years people can still stand on and not fall into the river. And he goes, keep digging. So I had to dig down, and, and, it, and it got to the point where I was digging, and I was like, this is, I'm just digging the granite, it felt like. And I just kept digging, and I felt like I was like, hitting people in China. So I was just like, like, well, I'm going way down here. And so like, I found that, and we, we built it up. And the cool thing is, it was that I was back in high school. I went back years later, and for some miracle, I knew the area where it was. I went back, and the deck was still back there. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Like, it's just, I was part of the fact that that deck is not in the river. I mean, like it would have been if I would have been in charge of that. But when we do a foundation, it takes a lot of hard work. When we think about Jesus being the foundation of our life, the foundation being He is everything in our life that we stand on. We say everything I believe, everything I do is based on who Jesus is and what His Word says. This is what the Bible says our foundation needs to be: is His Word. And if we base our lives on that, then it's going to stand through the storms. But if we base it on anything else, if we base it on the fact that we think that it's how good I can be, the good things I can do, then it's going to be it's going to fall apart. And I don't want to get confused with the fact that God's not saying I don't want you to do good things. What He's saying is don't do good things thinking that's what saves you. Do the good things because you know you're saved. And that shows that. It doesn't save you. It doesn't say, hey, I do these good things, I'm going to get to heaven. It's saying, because I know I'm going to heaven, I'm doing these good things. And it's kind of the outpouring of that. That's what we want to kind of look at. Luke 18, 9 through 14, it says, Then Jesus told the story to some who had, great, who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He's going to be talking about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Pharisee, back in the day, was the religious leaders of the day. They're the ones, they knew everything. Everything about God's teaching. Boy, they could recite it, they knew it back and forth. There's nothing you could tell them that they didn't know about Jesus' teaching and, and about who God was. The problem was they didn't really know Jesus. They were sitting there going, Look at us. Look how great we are. Look how much we know. And then the tax collector, isn't much different than the tax collector today. Nobody liked them. They were sworn, they were despised, and they, they would steal, and, and they would take from people. And a lot of times the tax collectors were Jewish people who had to go. The, the Romans would sit there and say, hey, I want you to go to your people, and I want you to collect the taxes. Let's say it's 10%. But then they say to the, to the tax collectors, you can collect as much as you want, but we're getting the 10%. Whatever you get on top of that is yours. And so they would sit there and they would basically steal from their own people. They would take uh, as much as they could get away with. So no one really liked them. And so here we got these two men, and two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and, and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know. You, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee was building his foundation on all the good things he was doing, and all the bad things he wasn't doing. He was basically saying, Because I don't do these things, because I do do these things, God, you need to accept me. You need to realize that I am the starting quarterback on your team. I'm the star, and you need to be really pleased and happy that I'm here. The tax collector comes up, he says, I can't even look up to God, because he knows how bad he is. And he just says, I'm a sinner, and I realize that, and he's repenting of that. And he's basically saying, my foundation is no longer on who I am and what I've done. My foundation is on you, God, alone. 
That's what it says. It says that that sinner went home justified or made right in God's eyes. Not the one who knew it all. It didn't understand the, the most important thing, and that is that it's, it's all about Christ. It's not about us. And then we look at Luke 8, and we get the parable of the soil. We think about the foundation, and we think about the fact that here's, here's the story that Jesus is, is sharing about a farmer going out and he's throwing seed. He's throwing seed out on, onto the, the ground. And I remember when I was a kid, I loved watermelon. And I, the greatest invention ever to mankind, don't argue with me because you won't win, is seedless watermelon. It's the greatest thing. I remember as a kid eating this, and it's like, you know, every other bite you're spitting out seeds. And now they came out, I don't know how, it's a miracle, but they came with seedless watermelon where you can just keep eating this stuff, and there's no seeds that you have to worry about spitting out. But I remember as a kid, I was thinking, about, I love watermelon. And I would take the seeds to a watermelon, and I'd go out and we had a gravel driveway. But I was just so excited, I'm like, I am going to start my own watermelon patch. So I took these seeds and I threw them out on the gravel driveway. And I, was, I wasn't dumb, I mean, it sounds dumb. I'd water them. It wasn't like I just throw them out and hope they did. And I'd go to the ice I'd water them. Sometimes I'd even bury them because I knew that you had to put them under dirt and stuff like that. I went out there and probably a week or two, I was getting, getting frustrated going, what is going on? And I went to my mother and I said, Mom, my watermelon, you know, seeds aren't doing anything. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I said, I planted watermelon seeds. She goes, where did you plant them? I said, in the driveway. And she just shook her head and she's just like, I failed. She goes, I'm, just, I'm a failure. There's nothing I can do. Let's just give up. But that's the whole idea of this, this parable. He's talking about the fact that a farmer threw seeds. Some of the seeds went out on the gravel. And some of it went out, and it says it went out on rocky soil. Some of it went out on thor- in thorns, and the other went on good, good soil. And so then he goes out and he says, this is what the parable means. The seed is God's word. You hear God's word. When people hear, hear God's word, here are the four different examples that it gives of what can happen when you hear what God wants you to do in your life. The, seed, the word of God, the seed that fell on the footpath, represent those who hear the message, only to have the devil come and take it away from them, from their hearts, and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seed that fell on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message, receive it with joy, they get excited about what they're hearing. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. So they're told what God wants in their life, and they're like, yes, I want that. But then also the devil just kind of throws a little temptation, not huge maybe, and they kind of say, they fall back and they say, all right, they, they didn't have the roots. And then it goes on to the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is trialed out by the cares, the riches, the pleasures of this life, and they never grow into maturity. So they take it, it starts to grow, they grow down, the roots get down there, but then all of a sudden life gets in the way. All, all, you know, you've got, I've got a family, I've got a job, I've got all these things. And so pretty soon, guess what happens? The one that talks about in the thorns is the one who says, Jesus, you are a piece of furniture in my house. You're not the foundation. You're part of my life, and I'm excited about the fact that you're part of my life. But you're just a part of my life. You're a chair, I've got a chair and a couch, and I've got a kitchen table, and I've got all these things. And you're one of those things. And it's important. It's not like I'm, I don't need you. It's just that I don't need you all the time. It's just that there are times when I'm going to need you. And so that's the person that um, it falls among the thorns. And then it goes on and says, and the seeds that fall on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. They hear what God's saying, and they say, I want that for my life. I want Jesus to be the foundation of my life, not just a chair in my house. And when we think about where we're at in our lives, the cool thing about when we talk about the small groups in, in our churches, whatever group it is that you may be involved in or um, think about getting involved in, is that that's where you can have people come alongside and help you during those times. Because there's times when we slip into the Jesus' furniture. Even though we, we have Jesus' foundation, there's times when we can start to fall into, maybe Jesus is just the couch that I use when I'm tired. And then I can kind of put him aside and bring him back when I need him. And we can have people that come alongside us that know us, that can encourage us to say, hey, be careful, whatever the areas are in our lives. So again, we, we've all got blind spots. We've all driven where all of a sudden, um, you know, you got a car next to us that you didn't see. And I'll tell you what, one of my biggest things that I struggle with, I'm just going to be honest and lay it out here for you guys, and you can judge me if you want. I'll be driving, and my wife will be in the passenger seat. And I'll get to her a little too close to a car. And it's not like she's kind of like, like this. It's like, like, and I'm just thinking, thank God I don't have a car that has one of those brakes on the other side, because we'd be dead. But she's like, just sit there and she'll put her foot right through the floor. And, and I'm watching that, and I freak out thinking, what's going on here? Like, what? But there are times when sometimes she'll save us because I look in the mirror, everything's fine. But there's a car next to me in a blind spot that I don't see. And she'll say, and she'll sit there in a worried way and say, or, you know, whatever it is that wives say, you know, when they're panicking. But I can sit there and go, whoa, you know what? Having somebody there to say, there's a car in your blind spot. Having a person that's willing to be able to do that is going to help us as we go through our lives. And again, that's what the small groups can help you. Having those people that come alongside, that care enough about us to see those things and say, I want to I help with that. So when we look at these houses that the parable's talking about, those are houses. We look at some things here and it says that they look similar. Matthew 15, 20 talks about the fact that these houses look similar. I just want to um, have us look really quick. Matthew 7, um, 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So you can look at it and say, the tree looks the same on the outside. But there comes a point where the fruit is going to come off that tree. And then you're going to know what that tree's about, if that's a good tree or a bad tree, depending on what the fruit is that comes out of that. And then the Bible talks about the storms that come into our life. Those storms that come into our life and can rock our, our world. 
And we've all been in physical storms, actual storms in our life probably times. I remember when we were on a, a cruise, and what else? My wife and I were out for, uh, celebrating our anniversary, and we went on this cruise. And, and the last night, it, all of a sudden, it was just this beautiful storm where the lightning was just lighting up the side. The entire, you know, one, the whole sky was just lit up. And it was just like, that is so cool. We're sitting out on the deck and, and just enjoying this. Then all of a sudden, thunder hit, like, right on top of our boat. And the only thing I can think of was, why did I ever watch that movie Titanic, ever? I mean, especially when I get on a boat. But that thing hit, and it literally hit right on top of our boat. And I don't remember what happened after that, other than the fact that all of my years of running cross-section track really came into play because I was under the bed inside our cabin. And I was sitting there, Lord, I pray my wife is okay. Because man, I was scared. Oh, that thing just boom. And I, didn't, I was just like, every man for himself, get out of the way. I probably pushed overboard. I was just like, get me out of the way here. Scare me at death. But you're in that storm, and it seems like at times I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I was like, boom. And I was like, scare me. Like, the worst out of me. Then we were on a um, mission trip a few years ago with Tristan Martinez to, up to Minnesota, Cass Lake. We went to an Indian reservation. And they had this storm. It was like, they call it straight line winds. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a storm where it's like these straight line winds. The rain goes this way. Rain's supposed to go this way. And it went that way. It just went that way. And it's yes. And um, it, was, it was amazing. Knocked out all the electricity and everything. And, and the sky turned green. And we were just freaking out going, wow, this, this is kind of freaky. But being in those storms, we just kind of, it just kind of, like, made you realize that, wow, you know what? When we're in those storms, it's kind of like, it's nice to be in a secure, safe place. And um, you think about the storms in our life. And what are those storms that come in our life? It could be financial, health, death of a loved one, fear of the future, job, job loss, maybe relationship problems. I remember when my mother called and said that she had cancer. I remember how that was a storm in my life. And how I was, you know, dealing with that. And I remember when she was in the middle of that, getting a call that my father had dementia. And then my mother was the one who was taking care of him. And I was just kind of like, wow, yeah, those storms come in and you sit there and go, God, what is going on? I don't understand this. But the cool thing about it was, as hard as it was, I knew I had a foundation that I could, I could um, be secure in. And that foundation was Christ. And if we don't have that foundation, if it's anything else, we're going to we're gonna be in trouble. And I want to look at the differences between the wise and the foolish man is what they do in response to what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just um, what they say, but it's what they do. James 1 22 um, talks about that. And it basically says, don't listen to God's word and don't do anything about it. You know, if you, don't, if you just listen to it, don't do anything, you're fooling yourself. And then 1 John 2, 3 says, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. I'm going to take a second everybody stand up because you're looking tired. And we're going to do a little calisthenics, Simon says, something like that. Okay? So the Bible talks about the fact that it's not just what we know, what we believe. It's what we do with that. So put your hands up. You just got arrested and now you got to go in. So, so we're going to go head, heart, hands. Right? Head, heart, hands. So the head, I'm just going to take down your um, The head is, this is what I know. I know what the Bible says. I know the Bible says do these things, don't do those things. The heart is, I believe that. I believe what the Bible says. I believe it's true. And the hands is saying, I'm going to obey that. And I'm going to live that out. The problem is, too many of us, it's here. Most of us here know the right things to do. We know what the Bible says about what to do. But if we don't get to where we believe it, then we obey it. So you sit down. You all lost on Simon's so, so I'll have Matt practice that later. But if, if we don't go from knowing it to believing it to obeying it, then really, we're, we're like a foolish builder. And we look at, there's a, a picture of a house on stilts here that I want us to, to look at and say, now first question you're asking is how in the world did you get in there? But after you figure that out, if you took one of those stilts out, you might have a little problem with the foundation of that house. And that's what God is saying is, the foundation has to be secure, has to be solid, if you really truly want to live a life that's going to be pleasing to God. Some similarities between the two builders, as we think about this here as we close out this, the first one is both individuals build a house. They both build a house. They both are doing things that look spiritual on the outside. The second one is, it's apparent that they both build in the same area. So the storm comes and, and hits both houses. And the third one is, that the houses look the same on the outside. They all look the same on the outside. Then the differences of these two houses is, the foolish person builds their lives on their own feelings and what society says. The wise person builds their lives on what the, the Bible says. The fool, foolish person builds their life on how they feel or what society around them says, what the polls say for that day. Whereas the wise one says, I'm building my life on what God says and what his word says. So that, that's never going to change. Their foundation is on themselves and their feelings for the foolish person. And then the wise person, the foundation is on Christ and his word. And I closed up, I had a house in um, Nebraska that, that we were renting and we started to buy. And I'd gone down there a few times and it was like a dirt um, basement. And I saw like the poster holding the house up and I was like, okay. So I went, we went to buy it and I said, I'm going to take a closer look if I'm going to buy this. So I went down and I kind of went and I leaned against one of the posts that was holding the house up. And the post started swinging. And I was sitting around, I'm not like a genius, but I figured that that's probably not very good. But I realized that, that was one of the posts that was holding this whole house up. And I realized, we better get that fixed because all the dirt underneath it just started to go away. And it wasn't standing on anything. So we had to fix that. But then I started thinking, in our lives, could that be the case? Where we think we're standing on something secure. And it comes to the point where we realize it's not. Because it's not Christ that we're standing on, but it's on how we feel.
feel or how good we think we are. And it's not on Christ alone. And in Luke 6, it does the same passage, same on parable, but he says, talks about that the wise builder dig deep. Dig deep, dig down. And he ends up getting in there and making that foundation secure. And sure, so that we don't have to worry about when those storms come in our life, what's going to happen. Because in the end, the ultimate storm that this parable is talking about is Christ's judgment. There's going to come a time when we're going to stand before God. And that, that storm coming through is going to be Christ judging everything we've done. And if we think that we're going to be right before God and get into heaven because we've done a lot of good things for God, that storm's going to come through and wash that all away. But if our foundation is, Jesus, I'm getting to heaven because of what you did on the cross for me. It's not by anything that I've done that I deserve to be made right in your eyes. But it's only by what you did. So all these good things that I do are because of that. And when that storm comes through and it clears out, that's going to stand. Because that's the only thing that's going to stand. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, we thank you so much as we think about the small groups as we close this up. That you bring people into our lives to encourage us, to help us through these storms in our life. But Lord, we think about the ultimate storm that's coming and the storm of your judgment. And I just pray that you'll just help each one of us in our hearts to truly ask, am I ready for that? When that storm clears, is going to be anything left or is it all going to be washed away because it's all in what I did? But Lord, we know that there's no storm that can ever come that can wipe away what you did for us. And we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.